The opinions expressed in the following program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media. We hear things in the deep, dark night. We see things in the shadows, in the corners of our eyes. In mind and dim light, we sense things when they just aren't right. Our dealings are not with human flesh and bone, but rather with an essence that defies even the basic laws of nature, like space and time. These elusive selves challenge our logical minds, forcing us to take faith in the unseen, the unsubstantiated. We cling to theory, statistical inevitability, and the imminent manifestation of mystery. Brought to you by WKTV, I'm one of your ghost hosts, Wayne Preston Curtis Thomas. Welcome to another episode of Grand Rapids Ghost Hunters Paranormal Podcast. As always, we ask that you please keep an open mind about things that you might not easily believe as we explore the mysterious. Mysterious and captivating. Those are our two key words tonight. Let's start out meeting my co-host, zooming in from Alabama. Hey everybody, I'm Brandon Jose of Jose History Productions YouTube channel. I did recently remove the paranormal out, so now it's just Jose History uh, Productions, spelled H-O-E-Z-E-E. Please welcome to the show one of our friends. She's been on the show many times. Esther Joy. Hello, everyone. I'm Esther Joy, a local potter, tarot reader, and psychic with 1990 Collectives and Esther Joy Tarot. Yeah, I had artist, empath, tarot reader. Yes. And you're going to fit right into this show because our special guest is also an artist, very accomplished artist. He has more names, though, than than I think I can list. Shaman Wu, he's he is a a teacher, a creative mentor, recording artist, producer. You got a couple uh, degrees in what uh, theology and philosophy, and then a, oh, another, and a psychology or psychology, and then another degree mm-hmm. for your music, fine arts and, and music. You actually have what nine albums, and 200 film scores. I was really impressed with that. And you're offering beauty, wisdom, and healing. I love that. Tell us about your path to become a shaman. What, what was that like? Were, you were born in a different country, were you? Yeah, I was born in China. Um, gosh. Well, I'll tell you some parts of it. You know how paths are. Um, the more than meets our meet our own concept of where we're going, usually. Um, excuse me. I'll start with this. Uh, about ten years ago, I was at the Aspen Institute for some big meeting there, and I met some people who were shamans, uh, and they asked me a, 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 a trick question. You know, um, you know, what's it mean to be a shaman, or something about that. And my response, which was my response, was actually, well, what led me to be a shaman was death, which is pretty standard in that, in a lot of spiritual areas, the death of who we think we are, death of identity, um, death of the usual things we try to cling to. So I definitely had quite a few dark night of the souls in my life. And... I remember one time, it was like when I was, uh, but this does have to your question, what led me shaman or, or how, it's my experiences and how I dealt with them, really. Um, it's really fast, and when, when my wife, my former wife and I separated, I remember one point I, I stood up and said to myself, this time, I'm not going to fix myself or her. I'm going to let everything go. And maybe, just maybe, what remains is something I can trust. You know, 
That's what the uh, death is about, stripping away. So more mundane ends. I think I was born with some of the abilities. Um, I had a lot of dreams when I was very young. And um, I remember one, of, one important one, I had a nightmare. Night after night of being like on a thousand foot tower, that's maybe 10 feet by 10 feet and no way down. You know, it's very, very frightening, trapped, and I step off and dead. And then one day, I, in, a dream, in the dream, I realized that I was dreaming, not the lucid dreaming thing. And my logic went, well, if I'm dreaming that I can't die, so I jumped, you know, in, in that dream. And from that, moment, I, from that moment on, I could fly in dreams. Like if I was meeting a nightmare or something strange, I had the ability to fly. So that began really early, maybe seven years old. Um, long background in meditation. I probably meditate an average of two or four hours a day since I was seven years old. I just like to do it. Now, when you say meditation, oh, this makes sense. This is different than transcendental meditation. You don't have a mantra, do you? You repeat a mantra. What shall I do? Oh, you know, yeah. Pardon. Oh, you do have a mantra that you repeat. I just want to make a comment here. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. Mm, let me feel that. Let me feel that. I mean, it's not an uncommon mantra. About a million people in the world do it, in particular in uh, in India. Hmm. It's like, for whatever, right now, I don't feel like sharing it. I think I just need to keep the energy close by right now without dispersing it. Okay. But if you want to look it up, you know, it's, it's one of a, the, the classic Sikh meditation. It starts with Jat Jyoti and Nai Ran Jan, uh, which is supposed to be the god of the first level of the heavens, which basically, basically is all of creation. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, it works for me. I've doing it so many times. I've used it through, you know, um, a lot of crises, so it's, it's burned in. I want to make a comment about meditation. Um, and people say, well, basically there are thousands of different types of meditations, all with the strengths and weaknesses. Um, so when I meditate, sure, I have the background of the mantra, but I'm doing a lot of other things too. Mindfulness, um, things I learned as a, uh, as a trauma therapist, the things to, you know, to reach the wounded part. In some ways, a lot of my meditation is not so much about getting to spirit. I, that, I have an opinion about that anyway. Which it's more about, you know, bring comfort and support for the one who has to walk the earth. And one of my attitudes about spirituality is, uh, this sort of pompous. I like to say it anyway. You know, I mean, but um, I'm not worried about spirituality. I think that's sort of automatic. Once we strip away stuff. And to me, spirituality is really is an action upon the earth, you know, when the rubber meets the road. How do we be kind to ourselves? How do we be kind to other people? Um, two years ago, I, I, I wanted to, no, I guess, set a clear intention statement for what I was about. And I came across what I liked a lot. And it goes basically, um, I'm really grateful and happy to be able to help people to love themselves more. It's as simple as that. Mm. And that can look like so many things, you know. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Why, I'll, I'll actually want to say more about the shaman. Bit. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I could dream. I, could, I, I have a, this ability to go into other people's, to mimic other people's bodies, literally. That's what, one of the ways I work. I feel something, and I know whether it's mine or theirs. Mm. And I know it's theirs that we have a direction to go in. So there's a lot of uh, sensitivity. I spent tremendous, the shaman part, I spent... I'm a mountain guy. I'm a wilderness guy. I, I, it, nature is my medicine. And I, I, and I go real fanatic to make sure it's available to me. Um, you know, there's a, one of my albums, uh, what is it? can't remember which one, maybe, maybe Traveler. But, you know, the, in, in the course of the album, I, I hiked for, for about 4,000 miles over the year. And, and I, I just lived at, at foothills, so it's easier to get to the mountains. But that... Those long, long times in the wilderness I spent, I did have visions. I did have connection with the earth. I, I would find rocks that were healing. And that was not something learned. It was something I didn't doubt and allowed myself to feel. 
You told me you told me to ask you about your time in the mountains, and I don't know if that's when yeah. you went up in the mountains to to become shaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm taking care of a dog, and he's having a nightmare. Oh it's no. Okay. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> um, it was yeah, yes, yes. I mean, it wasn't like I went there to be a shaman. I was already a shaman. Oh, okay. I went there to, to live it. Uh, oh, but I can tell you a very shamanic story if you'd like. I don't know if I'd take you too much time. You know, I was um, technically married for thirty years. My wife is a wonderful person, but we separated at twenty years. You know, so it was like no, it was nearly killed both of us. That was part of my shamanic journey. I'm talking about death, right? Mm. Um, and. About a year after our separation, and so uh, one thing about things like that, you know, a disaster, it can open your senses, uh, and you listen to your int- intuition a lot more acutely. Anyhow, so one day somebody, something told me to make this, I, I, I will get to show, make this spear. I mean, a really beautiful spear. It's right here, right now. Rare woods, you know. I didn't make the blade myself. But anyhow, and I, it was a time in the shamanic listening where I didn't dismiss signals like that. So I spent a month making this, sh- uh, this spear. And then two months later, the little voice said at midnight, pick up your spear and go into the mountains. So I went to my spear and I drove and went hiking up the mountains. In Colorado? I came across the plateau. Yeah, Colorado. Yeah. No, this was in Pasadena. That's by the uh, San Gabriel Mountains. Mm. Um, anyhow, long story short, so a voice said, hey, stop here. There's this plateau. And I stopped there. No, no, this is night, a beautiful night. And then when I was making the spear, the voice, the voice, anyhow, had me leave this uh, three-foot leather cord uh, un- uncut. And I, you know, I paid attention. So up there in the mountain, the, the, the voice said, okay, stop here. Take out your knife. And cut the umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. Basically, that cord, yeah, was a symbol of the umbilical that still attached me to my wife and maybe to all women, but not in a healthy way. So that's a shamanic experience. Do you think that cord cutting in general is is a big part of shamanism? Yes, I think that's that's a great question. You know, and yeah, uh, uh, I think it's a great, great part of many healing approaches, including shamanism. Yeah. You know, what, what, like trauma, we're stuck, right? We're stuck in time, right? Yeah. We have to cut the cords. Yeah. So, yes, that's a great question. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it applies to all healing, too. Yeah. So, your co partner in your book, Robert Novak, didn't he have some sort of a traumatic event also? Is he shaman? He had a traumatic event with his wife? No, but he's... That changed his life? He died of cancer. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, he started... We got there because he started to work with me as, a, as his you know, guru, you might say, his teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year after his, his wife died. Uh, and we became close friends and then... Uh, it was his idea to write the book, you know, um, and that's how it got started. Robert and I really do see a lot of things the same way, um, but I had to skill with words. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure if if you were like born into it, you got some of this through your family legacy. Or if it was some kind of a traumatic experience in your life that puts you on that path. It sounds like maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll, I'll say this because it's fun and it's all speculative of what we really know. But yeah, um, I was born in 1950. Um, we came from, a, you might say, an elite family in China. Um my father was 10 years in the Flying Tigers. He was a fighter pilot. And he first fought the Japanese, and then he fought the communists. Um, 
And, you know, I'm really w well aware of the influence, meaning my mother was very young. And, you know, there is a thing that the fetus does pick up on the, the neurochemistry of the mother. One of the first things that evolves in the, in the fetus is the, and becomes feel, uh, tangible, uh, is the, uh, the limbic system, you know, which has the receptor sites for the threat hormones. So, you know, my, my here's my mother, gun, uh, husband away, never know he's going to come back. And as, as things got worse and worse, there were bodies floating down the river every day, sometimes hundreds. Bombs were falling. Shanghai was being bombed. And so basically, I grew up, not some other people had much worse, but I did grow up with no substance of feeling safe at all, ever. And that's part of what led me to be to, to, to shamanism. Um, Robert, now your name is, you have a lot of, yeah. <laughs> you have a lot of names. Robert Whitesides Wu with Seven Hawks Healing. So do you have a some kind of a Native American uh, influence then? Not really. Um, yes. Well, actually, I take it back. Yes. <laughs> what am I saying? Um, Cause you got the Native American name. Very. I mean, I, 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 no, I, I, I do. White sides, I would think. White sides, and with seven hawks healing, that sounds Native American to me. Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, seven hawks healing is not my name. It's, it's my business. Right. Uh, and somehow you know they scramble. But yeah, white sides. White sides was my former wife's name. I didn't want to. You know, her to lose her name. So my married name was Whitesides Wu, mm. and that became a recording artist's name. You know, right now, I, for whatever reasons, um, I decided to go with my um, as, as, and as a shaman, as a healer. Uh, I decided to, uh, just really about three years ago to go with my chi my full Chinese name, which is Wu Da. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll share you something that's fun. Who knows in terms of what leads one to be who they are. Uh, Wu De An, that's my Chinese name, now three characters. Your name... And I was born at a time in China when... Pardon? Your name translates and to harmony... At a time. Harmony within uh, war and peace. How fitting. Yeah, this was... Isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was chosen by a naming astrologer, which was, was the way it's done in China that time. More specifically, I thought it goes like this. Wu... The first character is in every character in Chinese that has to do with war. An, the third character, is the character in every word in Chinese that has to do with peace. Mm. And the de is literally the Tao. You know, so my name is the Tao of War and Peace. And it turns out my, my life is the Tao of War and Peace. Yeah, how fitting. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. I, on the lighter side, you used to have really long hair. And I saw a picture of you when your hair was, wasn't all the way down to your shoulders, but it, it looked just yeah. like, I don't know if you've ever watched this program, Kung Fu with David Carradine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you look just oh, like yeah. him. People have told me that so many times. <laughs> I, I saw an old picture of yeah. him playing the character Kane and an old picture of you. And I swear, you guys look like brothers. But your hair used to be all the way down to your <laughs> shoulders. Compliment. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, well, I am, I am a gun food. Yeah. And you are. I am a gun food dude. I'm gonna so, say yeah. you have training in kung fu, also, right? I want to get back to the mm -hmm. meditating because we kind of skipped over that quickly, isn't it? Is, do you do like belly breathing when you meditate? Belly breathing. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, can you say if that one's blurry uh, audio-wise? Can you say that again? Yeah, do you do belly breathing? Yes, that belly breathing when you meditate. Oh, belly breathing. Well, that, like that, yeah, yeah. Among many other things, yeah, yeah, diaphragmatic breathing, definitely. Um, actually, I also, I, yeah, I, I did. I started that very early when I was uh, studying Zen Buddhism mm. and, and being a, a 
you know, a martial artist uh, in the in the Japanese styles. Um, yeah, no, my uh, <laughs> so I was having a doctor's checkup the other day, and my doctor's was you know, listening to my breath, and she said, "Man, you can always tell somebody who does yoga oh, yeah. <laughs> because the way I breathed." Uh, 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 yeah. Okay. And you said, and this is a quote, enter non-ordinary reality. So I'm guessing you enter some sort of a trance or you have a ritual that you go into. Yeah, that's a good query. Um, I, a little, I, I hesitate. I mean, the times I go into trance, I hesitate like my healing work in that woo-woo area. I, I call all the weird stuff I do the woo stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, um, most times it's not a trance because I'm very aware. Um, and I'll sort of describe, I don't have a, a ritual per se like lighting candles and stuff that um, as much as for me to do the transition from here to there. And from ordinary to non-ordinary, mm. mostly what I do is silence for it, taking my time. You know, silence. Mm. Um, and I wait to see what shows up. So it's so so. You know, it's very awake, very aware. Yeah. One way I like to describe it, uh, you know, coming from a from a Chinese medicine background, I take the time to transition from personal chi. Which you know, you're, 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 a lovely ego which we tend to overabuse, you know, um, to what I call universal chi. You call that the divine or the, you know something. And when that shift happens, it's extremely tangible to me. Meaning, my vision changes. You know, the light quality of the air changes. There's a lot more definition of things. Mm. Here, I'll give you a description. Um, this is this is from a blog. Uh, about two years ago, I finally wrote a blog, blog about the really strange, weird, shamanistic stuff, which I was very afraid to write about, you know, in fear of trolls and all that. <laughs> I just had to. So in it, I just described two of the more outer things that happen. You know, things that happen, basically. That's weirder. Uh, I'll try to keep this brief. Um, maybe about seven years ago, a guy showed, well, guy's wife called me to see whether I could do sessions for her husband who had developed DVT, deep vein thrombosis, um, which are blood clots in the leg, very dangerous. They can, they can break off and create an embolism. Uh, he flew a lot. And a lot of people who fly a lot, that they're at risk of oh, deep vein thrombosis because they, they're, they're static. Anyhow, so I worked with him for the summer. And of course, there was life change with that happened too. So I was, I was also working with, you know, life change. But when I, towards the end, he came to his weekly session and said, Hey, whoa, I got a lot of pain down you know, on that right calf uh, where the blood clots are. You know, can you do your shamanty thing? So here's what, what it looks like for me. I said, Okay, sure. Uh, no guarantees. Let's see what happens. Um, and, and, and he had worked with for, for already three months. The first part of the ritual is to do nothing. You know, I'm waiting until I'm in a larger space. So I just, okay, we're, we're beginning now, and I do nothing, and I wait. Hmm. I wait with the intention of letting go, well, connecting to, you know, to, to the, you know, call it universal chi, universal mind, divine, whatever you want to call it. But, um, then it happened. That switch happened. It took about four minutes, I think. And uh, this is the Shabani part. When that switch happened, I saw in his body all these, later on I called them leeches because they were like a leech shaped. They were different sizes. They're all sort of luminescent and blue. And I had enough time to know that you know, weird things oftentimes are the healing things so I don't you know, dismiss or react. Uh, and I just observe. I'm the witness. The witness allows the channel to open. And anyhow, so yeah, they're everywhere. In the brain, his little toe, not just in his calves. So I just you know, watched them for about 20 minutes and then felt like it was over. And uh, I withdrew. 
And he said, right after, he said, wow, that's cool. I, you know, I'm a, I have a lot less pain now. And he, I didn't know he had ultrasound that day after me. And he, had, he was getting ultrasounds every day you know, to see what the blood clot situation was. Mm. And in the, the, in the ultrasound following <laughs> the leech session, um, there were 60% less plaques from the, day, from the previous day. Now, I don't know whether that was me. You know, I'm not going to do that sort of a jump. But I, will, but I did observe, you know, the way leeches work is they exude an extremely powerful blood thinner from their mouth. That's how they keep the blood wet. Mm. And so it made sense, right? That, I mean, it was going to happen on that level, that little blood thinner is basically what's going on down there. Yeah. Um, now, even in modern medicine, yeah, lab-grown leeches are used when they want a topical um, um, procedure where, where they do not want the blood to clot, and then, then they use our leeches. Yeah. So they, that's a very strong story. That's really cool. Do you, uh, do, you that, find, yeah. do you find that a lot of times when you're doing that altered state work that the visuals that come through, because in my experience, when you're, when you're dealing with those altered states or, or the, on the other, um, the information that you're receiving, <clears throat> it's coming in so fast from so many different places or from, from such a big place that the, yeah. the interpretations of it are kind of whatever makes sense to your brain. So, so having that need there and recognizing it and seeing those leeches, that's something that for a different person working in that same spot might have a completely different image for it, but it's working on the same track. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, There's something else to, I wanted to add to that. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, what was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's a tricky thing. I and mean, one thing that I was really slow to trust myself in is, you know, am I, do I have insight or, or, or if I'm just crazy, right? <laughs> you know? And, um, oh, yeah, one comment I, I'll make. It, 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 I love what you said about the complexity and how do we filter out, right? What's appropriate. Um, these days, well, more than these days, I, in psychology, there's a, you know, I, I still study trauma, trauma psychology a lot because that's not what I do mm. and as a healer, working with trauma. Um, you know, there are sort of two general approaches. Traditionally, it's called top-down. You know, we, we have a model, we have a theory, and we try to apply it to something, right? But the one, I, the, the approach I really like these days, it comes from somatic, like you know, yeah. from somatic end. Yeah, bottom up. Is uh, called yeah, bottom up. Bottom up, yeah. and that's my biggest way that I discern. Yeah, you know? yeah, you get it. Yeah, well, that I feel like the bottom-up approach, especially when you're dealing with like stepping into that listening space or the observer, the observer mode. Uh, with bottom-up, you're also interpreting information that doesn't always seem like it's coming from a direct place. So when you're dealing with trauma, Absolutely. like you're just getting this information from the body, and and when you're when you're in like an active participant mode, it's hard to follow where it's going versus when you're in the observer mode, it kind of, it, it comes up to you instead and then it lets you process it. It's a very different Wonderful. experience though. Like top Absolutely. down, everything's very articulate yeah, and, you know, and bottom, bottom up, you can't put yeah. it into words very well. It's like, but it's holistic and more accurate. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, our minds are, are, Great machines and useful, but the mind works by putting things in boxes. Yeah, and a lot of parts of healing are much more right <laughs> complex. Yeah, than boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Robert, mm. some of the work that you do yeah. resonates yeah. with me is the combat veterans and with PTSD. Apparently, that's a big part of what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, um, I don't work with as many veterans these days. There's a several years where I did. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sorry, I, I just sort of... What, what am I going to do? 
funny. As I'm uh, figuring out how to answer your question, what I am experiencing, this is not a problem, you know, uh, is uh, grief. Grief in my chest and my throat. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, that's, uh, I mean, you've probably worked with that. I've drawn this really beautiful young man I worked with um, 15, maybe 15 years ago here. Uh, you know, severely wounded, so he's in constant chronic pain. Um, you know, he would do the, what do you call it, the scouting thing. He's married, but it would come to him and run out with his assault rifle and, and lay in the ditch all night, you know, to protect his family. Um, I don't have any overall... description of working with that okay that trauma all right well uh, yeah but I, I would say i would say yeah but 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 you know uh, every all trauma has its a source safety right or the lack of safety hmm. and so what i do do is try to find the way for that individual for that moment to feel some there's some sort of sanctuary there's a definition of sanctuary i'm totally in love with which is Sanctuary is where we feel safe enough to be unsafe, you know, to finally let it out in a safe way so bit by bit that stuck energy can be released. Yeah. And in my work with, with combat veterans and everybody else, a lot of it I learned was to just provide that sanctuary. You know, the timing of their healing is not up to me. Hmm. You talk- those little things add up over, over time. You talk about wholeness, and I don't know, do people mostly come to you because they're broken or because they want enlightenment, they want to move to another level, or both? Usually it's a combination. No, most people, um, I design my website, I get most of my, my, my work through my website, uh, and I design my website to be a filter. I don't want to work with everybody, you know. I, I'm more effective with some people, not effective with others. And um, yeah, so what? Are, in terms of the filter of presenting who I am and my my the feel of my myself to people, most of people come sure that they have specific things, sometimes real things. Like right now, I'm working with a wonderful woman who you no, know, whose husband died two weeks ago mm-hmm. after a long, grueling cancer. Um, and you know, one of my one of my expertise areas is grief. I'm a really good grief, grief whisperer. Hmm. Um, where was I going? Uh, I think you were linking. Yeah, so pretty much yes. Everybody who comes is common. They may have some specific. Almost all of them also have this sense of. You know, spiritual is such a wild, wild word. It could mean many things to many people. I'm a little, almost a little wary of the word spiritual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, everybody who works with me also is coming because they think I can give them some, uh, you know, spiritual guidance. Um, and then they have their specific, you know, like the grief to work with, stuff like that. There's something that Esther said. I mean, it's something that you said, I think, in your intro. Um, so much of a particular terms of, you know, uh, psychological healing, emotional healing, traumatic healing. Your Facebook has an affirmation. Sorry, I sort of froze. Oh, yeah. Your Facebook has an affirmation for every occasion. You talk about wholeness and you say that you need to accept. We need to accept our weaknesses to make ourselves stronger. I thought that was just curious. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of where where I I went to a tongue pie there. Yeah, I say this. We hold, you know, if there's cultural reasons, your gen- just 
genetic reasons, like the negativity bias of the human nervous system. And we're, we're basically we are genetically assigned to look for threat. No, we wouldn't even exist as a species without it. It causes a lot of problems too. But um, yeah, Hohn is a very big deal with me. It's basically, can we love every part of ourselves? And my nuance with that is, it's radical. I mean, I, mean, I don't expect from everybody, or even myself, but you know, can we love even the ugliest? part of ourselves, not grudgingly, not because, oh, this is the right thing to do to love this, but to really be friends, yeah. you know, with even the parts of us we're frightened of. Yeah. And that's wholeness. Yeah. You know. Sorry, I, I wrote a blog recently about, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just wanting to add, I had, I had a conversation with my therapist one time talking about um, feeling like I was in a state of brokenness. And she, she corrected uh. me and she was like, oh, honey, no. You're not broken, you're scarred. And I think a lot of trauma builds up in your body as, as a scarring versus an actual break. Yes. There's, a, there's a, a fracture point, yes, where it's no longer safe to be connected to that experience in your own body. But that's not an irreversible situation. That's not something that's broken and no longer part of you. It's just not part of the main story. It's, it's a scarring. So now there's, there's healing work to be done before you can access it safely. Absolutely. Hey, I like you. We should talk more often. Yeah, I'd like that. <laughs> no, uh, one thing about this, just, uh, yeah, me too. Really. Uh, the uh, session yesterday I did, uh, an aspect of that came up. And it's, I like it. It's still, I find it useful. But, you know, people think, oh, gee, to be healed it means I won't feel this, I won't feel that, which is ridiculous. We've got to feel right. Um, just how well we handle our relationship to our pain is, just turns it either into growth or suffering. Um, I was going to say this way, what you said. I was saying that, yeah, the deepest wounds, we carry the scar forever. But those particular scars, depending on how we relate to them, Form the depth of our character, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. It changes the way you move. Mm. 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 I I have different definition definitions of shaman, and one of them says they access and influence the world of good and evil spirits. I'm wondering, have you seen? Have you had to deal with evil spirits? My brother is a preacher. He yeah, says if there's yeah. one, there's the other. Uh -huh. Have you had to deal with the evil? Oh, see, your brother's a smart preacher, absolutely. You know, that's just, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going wacko here. But yeah, just like grief and love belong to each other, are in the same, you know, if we don't grieve, that means we, we're, we're, we're blocked off our love. Um, yeah, I have. Um, I want to mention something before I get into this area. You know, because some of the things I talk about are not necessarily for everybody. I think one of the governors for me that makes me, that, that, I'm very aware of that. You know, uh, you know, I'm very flawed. I've been an idiot many times, but also I'm essentially a very good person. And I think that has to be the foundation in any of these things used well. Because, you know, like anything, Light can be used to kill people. You know, it goes either way, depending on the intention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when I was getting into shaman as owning it, uh, um, no, I, I, I have to make clear that you know, you know, in the ideal, idealize, in the idealization of things, you know, there are plenty of indigenous shamans who specifically are their job is to curse people. You know, and to do "quote unquote" evil things. So shamanism, by its very nature, it's not like oh, you're a shaman, you, you think good thoughts. Mm. You know, it's a, a management of the psyche and an invisible thing, you know, the non-ordinary reality. But it still has to be grounded in the character, our, our personal character. Um, that said, I got to mention off your sense. Yeah, very early on, as I was, you no, know, seriously. Well, studying it, actually. Um, there's a trick 
that's a very considered very dangerous you know, for a person working work to be a shaman. Um, where, okay, let's say you're something that is plaguing you, and you can call it, you can feel like you know, it's a heavy duty demonic sort of a thing. Mm-hmm. And the trick is actually to magnify the demonic thing to make it really a lot huge and I, so I tried that one day yeah, I, I mean you know I really I won't describe what it looked like I have a very visual strong imagination so it helps uh, and whilst trippy was what I fully wasn't, wasn't tried to correct you know the monster in me it transformed itself into beneficial strength and awareness. So that's one way of, in terms of like, yeah, I was like demonic. Um, I've worked with, you know, demonic in, in clients sometimes where, where they have an entity and there are times I can do something about it. Uh, it's funny how these things work that when you're meant to and when I was in college which I had no idea what shamanism was you know I was into science fiction and music um, at UC Berkeley um, yeah there's like three times when students would walk up to me and just say I, we got a problem we got a ghost in, in the dorm room you know uh, and can you do something I don't know maybe just because I was Chinese they thought I could do something about it but I found out that I could <laughs> And you know, there, there's like on this one wall of this dorm, and you just feel it, this this dark, massive pressure behind the wall. Um, and the way I deal with those is basically, I have this bizarre. I think it's become like, because I did come out of war and death, you know. So I have a, uh, a pretty sturdy relationship with war and death, and I just basically just stood fully open in the presence of that entity, and. It's weird for it. And, w- and was calm and neutral and unaffected by that force. And when it met that, that, you know, field of where it couldn't penetrate, because uh, there's no fear. Yeah. Unintimidated. Um, it went away. Anyway, not even talk- I have actually a lot of stories, so I won't tell them right now. Yeah. <laughs> On the show, before I've characterized shamans as being secretive, and I don't know if I was really just saying that. I mean, it's stuff I've read. I've never worked with a shaman. I've ran into people who have worked with shamans, but it's like I'm, I'm putting it out there that, oh, they don't want to reveal their secrets. Is that true or or? You're sharing today, but it seems like you're you're keeping mm. some things you don't want to necessarily share with us. Is that a bad characterization? Oh, that's, that's, that's a fair question. I don't I don't think I'm actually keeping things from you, y'all. It's just you know uh, you can't say everything at once. Um, I'll, I'll take a moment to check that question out. Um, could I maybe re- reiterate it? Yeah. Because I think, I think a lot of a yeah. lot of things where you're you're dealing with something that's very difficult to describe, and you're dealing with places that are also very difficult to describe, and so when you're dealing with something with that much complexity, you can't jump straight to step five of that experience without explaining step one, two, three, and four before you get there. So you can't just answer a question directly without having to kind of provide an explanation of the places that you have to maneuver through before you get there. So, so secret secrecy somewhat, but it's more complexity and not being able to put it into a simple answer. Robert, have- not only that, that's great. Sorry. Let me just this respond to what she just said. It's brilliant. Uh, and also you use the word mystery in your intro. And a mystery is, is, is how we could integrate into complexity. And um, they're not secrets as much as 
I'm very cautious of my words in terms of putting labels, you know, that box, the, the box how we think, and we do that anyway. And so the thing that you might think of secrecy is actually that there's not a word for it, because I use a word, it will at that point, at that, at that point of time, contaminate yeah. the thing. Uh, yeah. I have a great story. You'd have to wait a time. It's not mine. Um, oh, God. This guy I respect very much. He's, he uh, eventually became the chief psychologist for the Hopi, the Hopi of the Navajo Nations. He's written some very lovely books. On, 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 you talk about shaman and, and really intricate stuff. It's really, really interesting. I can't remember his name now. Anyhow, the story is this. Uh, when he uh, arrived in New Mexico, Albuquerque, to take over as the you know, chief psychologist for the nations, um, the friend of his said, hey, I want you to meet Herbert. You know, that was his American name. You know, he's the elder of the Hopis here. So they, they trekked up to meet uh, yeah, Herbert. And he was there weaving, and, and the Hopi, uh, the, the, the men weave. So he was weaving a prayer shawl. <laughs> I love the story. So his friend comes up and to Herbert, you know, and says, hey, here's my friend. I um, And Herbert says, oh, well, what do you do? The guy, and the guy said, well, I'm a psychologist. He said, and Herbert said, what's a psychologist? Yeah. And her and guy said something. You know, we we um, uh, no, we, we 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 study the mind. And then Herbert says, "I can tell you everything about the mind in three words." And uh, the psychologist was really offended. I mean, he really <laughs> wants to be liked by Herbert. You know, but at the same time, he's like, "But I just studied ten years, and you're saying that you know da da da." So anyhow, then even to, to pin him, Herbert went back to his weaving, and the guy said it was the the most. Uh, excruciating 10 minutes that he ever endured while Herbert was just weaving away without responding. Then finally Herbert looks up and says, I will tell you everything about the mind. It's a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we like to deal with the mystery rather than paranormal. We use that word, but found out. And then our Bigfoot people come on, they go, we're not paranormal, but they are mysterious. So... I'm wondering, do you ever use any herbal uh, medicines for healing, or is it just through the mind? I mean, mushrooms or peyote, anything like that, or white sage, yeah. use any of that well, stuff? I would say, yeah. By the way, saying nothing is just the mind. I'm sorry, I'm being a bit tweaky here, okay? I mean, the mind tends to occupy all this stuff, but um, yeah, no, I, 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 I do, uh, sometimes I do. Um, I do. Gee. Yeah, I just figure I should not say you know, for legal reasons. Um, I work with psilocybin. You know, um, Which I do microdosing and part. Hasn't that just become legal for medical studies in Colorado? Yeah, but for medical studies, right? Trauma-based uh, um, in Colorado. Yeah, and also, I mean, in it, it's, it's not still legal in let's say denver oh. uh, what it is is they look the uh, the the authorities are are asked to look the like, other way like decriminalize so it's permitted you know yeah. it's not legal. yeah 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 decriminalize thank you yeah um yeah you know there's you never know how little sneaky things can sneak in and bite you you know yeah uh, but yeah i do work with sillas i like the effects i and to be honest i like pot yeah, <laughs> it, it does help me. Um, yeah, it do, does. It, it help. Those it, doors. It, it helps yes. uh, communicate. Mm. And how about? Yeah, it does. Yeah, do you use crystals also or uh, white sage? Yeah, all those twos. <sighs> That's interesting. I know Native Americans had had a reputation for yeah. using peyote. So that's the reason. Oh yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have a background in psychedelics. So I'm going to say, my first acid trip was when I was 14. <laughs> okay. And I saw God. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. shamanism, I guess, is like an ancient uh, form of religion. It cuts across all faiths and creeds. But I, I get the feeling that you identify with Christianity. Um. I, I identify with 
most forms of spirituality in their mystical arena. So yeah, I've done a lot. Yeah, I have a degree in theology, a master's in theology. You've studied um, world religions, right? Yeah, and um, I was going to say. Um, Now, if I, if I want to go top down for a moment on technical, you know, shamanism is essentially animism, a nature worship. Hmm. Um, yeah, and just with me, I do worship nature. You know? Nature is my, is my biggest medicine. Yeah, that's what I was um, wondering. I was curious if you went to yeah. nature for your healing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Probably Still, easier I'm, up I'm there very... in the mountains probably easier to yeah. get in touch with nature. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm right. it's right at my doorstep, yeah. Right. I oftentimes feel a little, sometimes I feel a little guilty because it is easier for me. And for any human being, the fact that, you know, it's, it's much more known now, you know, in terms of being studied. You know, nature is one of the most powerful medicines there are. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I want to share, if we start, I want to share a story. Is that Okay. Yeah. I'll try. Anyhow, um, yeah. Um, there's a professor at UC Berkeley, Dakar, Dakar, or something like that. And he's the guy, if you research something, his thing is awe, you know, A-W-E. And he does a lot of research on awe. And um, he did this awesome experiment. I, I, I loved it, anyhow. So he took two groups of students it was two different experiments. The first one was to a part of campus where there was a forest on one side and some sort of institutional building on the other side. Then he had a, and he told the, you know, the students who was looking at the forest to particularly gaze upon where the trees met the sky. And uh, the other group was just asked to stare at the, stare at the institutional building. And then he had a, a, a girl actress walk out of the building you know, laden with books and stuff. And pretend to trip, and uh, and uh, you know, books and pencils and papers went flying. What's interesting, the group of students who were looking at the sky and the trees and basically tuning into what that is there, they ran to help the girl, whereas the, the, the kids that were staring at the building, um, a lot of them didn't even go you know, to to help the girl. And then there's a second one, which was even more as awesome. He same thing, two groups of students, they were using computers. So one group, I'm sure they were looking at nature. Yeah, it was looking at beautiful, beautiful nature pictures. And I don't know specifically what was on the screen for the other students. You know, I'm sure it's something, something mechanical. Um, and then afterwards, they were asked to, to draw a self-portrait. And the students who were looking at the beautiful pictures of nature drew themselves tiny on the page mm. with lots of space around them. And the kids who are looking at the non-nature filled the page with themselves with no space whatsoever. I thought that was very telling. That is yeah. Cool. You know, we're, we're getting to the end of the show. Brandon, do you have anything specific that you wanted to ask Robert? You, got, you might be muted. I think you're muted. You must have muted yourself. Yeah. yeah. Oh, muted. I yeah, yeah, I'm muted. I, I don't, I don't want to... I don't have any questions. Okay. Well, then we, we need to move on to the end, end of the show. We're running out of time. And the final thought, I always do a final thought so everybody can weigh in on it. And the, fi the final thought is it's about the meaning of life. Pablo Picasso said the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. So my question for everybody is, have you found your gift and your purpose, or do you define the meaning of life differently than Picasso? And Brandon, I know you're not prepared for this, but the meaning of life, buddy. Uh, you're 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 really breaking up on my. Oh. So I, do you define? How do you define the meaning of life? Picasso defines it as you have to find your gift, and then your purpose is to give your gift away. I don't know. In terms of like giving my gift away, I would be just trying to like help people in the paranormal field by like doing this podcast. Yeah, we like that. And we have been able to use this platform, right, and share it with different people. 
to get their message out. Uh, Esther Joy, I give her a little heads up on this. Sometimes I do that, but the meaning of life, do you agree with Picasso or? I, I definitely agree with the sentiment. I think, um, I would reframe it a little bit to be the, the, the finding yourself and the purpose would be sharing what you love. So, so it's not so much giving your gifts away as sharing your gifts with the world. Okay. Yeah. And this, this whole shamanism seems to be all about individuality. you they deal with individuals like one at a time to uh, find solutions for them. But, uh, the meaning of life, shaman Wu. Do you agree with Picasso? <laughs> it you need to it's you find your gift, and then the purpose is to give that gift away, or is there a different meaning yeah. of life for you? Well, um, you know, they're all interesting. I, I my my uh, reframing would be similar to Esther's. Uh, I would add that um, yeah, we call it gift. You know. We all, I think, deal with existential um, wobbles, right? Who, are, who am I? Why am I here? And so the way I turn this more like I help people find what is valuable to them, mm. what, what is not just valuable on the you know, surface level, but what, what makes what in their gut, in their heart, ache. And... Um, try to help to find them ways for them to actually take action towards what, is, what, what the value is. It's more how I relate to it. Yeah, I, I definitely oh, think you're, you're giving it away. I, I think you have found your purpose. I think Brandon and I found... Oh, I, 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 yeah, sorry, I'm, thing. yeah I, I'm sorry to interrupt here. Um, just giving, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just a language. So it's a you know, history, but... Um, there's a statement about, you know, um, ideally, we want to give from our overflow, but keep the, the essence, but we do not give our essence. That's sort of what we keep for ourselves that is our foundation and lighthouse for how we can serve other people. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's not about giving it away. It, it, it should be, ideally, it's coming from, a, from uh, you know, an unquenchable source. It's not depletable. Yeah. When people, a lot of times in there, you know, even in terms of the caregivers, when that's a fine line where, uh, where they're giving their own life was to the point where it's, it's, it's harming them, you know, because they think if I'm giving properly, I need to give it all. And, you know, caregivers need to learn what self-care is. Are you also a poet? I, 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 pardon? Are you also a poet? I, I'm, a, I'm a very good writer. Yeah, I know you've worked. I, I know Actually, when you were going yeah. to college, you worked with a, a special group of poets, and then you brought up Bob Dylan. You re, you're, uh, quoted yeah. Bob Dylan to me in, in the conversation we had. But uh, McCartney and the Beatles, they, they partied with Bob Dylan the first time that they smoked marijuana. Paul McCartney says that he, uh, he figured out the meaning of life, and he wrote it down. And then his, they wrote, read it back to him the next day. He was convinced he had the meaning of life. And he, what he wrote down was, there are seven levels. That's all he wrote. So I don't know. It was his first time smoking marijuana. But I, I come across the meaning of life as being a freedom from suffering uh, through objectivity. It's almost like it's you need to be apathetic towards things. You start caring too much. You have a passion for things, and then that gets you in trouble. Whoa, you, you definitely have passions for things, don't you? Yeah, you know, there, there's a term I like to, when I'm working with people, I like to tell them because it's an important reference point. Um, ah, gosh, I lost. Um, um, 
Let me. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got to space. So I'll be probably quiet until you, you sign off. So I'll shut up. When when uh, I was talking about uh, what uh, what your path was to be a shaman, and I've read these qualities that a shaman needs to become a, to become a shaman. You need to be intuitive, sensitive, humble, generous in spirit, open minded, willing to learn, devoid of pride. And the last one is true to yourself, or you, in other words, you need to be able to admit when you're wrong. Oh, totally. So yeah. maybe one of the things I tell, uh, uh, yeah, I'm one of the things I tell everybody that I'm doing, you know, going to be doing a session for us, you know, part of the intake, is that anything I say or see or think may or may not be right. You know, it's always true. I lay it on the table. I also tell them that, um, you know, just to help them know, like, if, if they think differently, if they feel differently, just tell me right away, because I need to be informed, you know? And also, I like to put that on the table, because when it's true, you know, we're not always right. Um, but also, if I know that we both know that I may or may not be right or okay with it, then it helps me not to second guess myself. A lot of times the visions that come to instincts are very easy to dismiss from a normal mind, right? But if we know, hey, it just may be crazy, but it keeps it recurring. Let's go check it out. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. We do a shout out. And our previous guest was, my previous guest was Sev Talk. She wrote this book, You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens. She was far out guest. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, she opened up my mind to whole new avenues. Brandon, you had a couple people on. Uh, if, if you want to give a shout out to them, Danny Holroyd was one of them. I think of my last. Kathy, few. Kathy Condor. Yeah, Kathy Condor of. Uh, I'm trying to think of the whole book title, but it was like Haunting Spirits Haunting and Eats. Eats. Haunting Eats and Spirits, Michigan. Yep. Um, this great book with a bunch of haunted locations across the state of Michigan. And then it's the last one I had on. <laughs> well, you yeah, had Danny book, Danny Holroyd. I'm at a, oh, Dan, yeah, Danny Holroyd of Southern Michigan Paranormal. I did a couple episodes with them. Covering kind of the pros and cons of uh, uh, ghost hunting, kind of their paranormal investigations, of the pros and cons of the technologies and the techniques as well as about the upcoming events, uh, Ghost to Rama, which I believe is June 3rd in Baton Harbor, Michigan. It's kind of like a big paranormal convention thing that's kind of like free to attend. Then there's a ghost hunt afterwards, but that's like 25 oh. if you wanted to do the ghost hunt. But. Okay. Shout out to my wife. Today's her birthday, so shout out to Brenda, my wife. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and then Tyler, our tech guy, he's got his own show here on the – at WKTV that you guys can check out. Uh, a shout out to anyone, Esther? Um, to all of you guys. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. And then um, Robert, I don't know if you want to do a shout out maybe to uh, Robert Novak uh, and or maybe the new guy that you're getting uh, to do some music with. But we'll move into upcoming so upcoming, I have Dave Emmons. He wrote this book, They, another alien guy, abducted. And then uh, for, for us, it's we're on TV twice a week, Comcast Channel 25, U-verse 99. Brandon and I are going to be lecturing at the KDL Libraries in October. And then my pet project is the 988 Suicide Crisis Hotline. I've been promoting that thing. We got to get that thing out there so people can use that. They are using it. So, and then we, you know, we lose a veteran every 65 minutes to suicide. So I love the work that you're doing, Robert, with the PDS, with the veterans that are suffering. I love that. So upcoming for, uh, you got any upcoming? Nope, nothing special on the board. Um, just the same you can reach me on Facebook, Esther Joy Tarot, or the 1990 Collectives. Okay, that's important to know. Brandon, upcoming for you? I will have an upcoming episode, too, with uh, Eric from the Uncomfortable Podcast. It does a podcast kind of similar to what we kind of do, covering different mysteries and hauntings and cryptids and stuff like that. So 
uh, he'll, he'll be a future guest on the show. Okay. Uh, Robert, I don't know if you got any events coming up that you, at all? Not really. Um, you know, it's just doing my individual sessions and no, people, I don't have any public things going on. People can call you and then you deal with them individually oh, yeah. they on can the phone. Contact me. Or they can come yeah, to your yeah, mountain. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, one thing too, uh, if people are curious about where I come from, uh, on my Facebook business page, I think it's Seven Hawks Healing, um, there's in the, you know, my website says a lot about me, but on the Facebook business page, um, under photos category, you know, there's, there should be about 90 of my, uh, I do these these posts almost daily. I'm not taking a break right now to Instagram, which goes to all, to everywhere else. And they're, they're lovely. You know, they're, they're really like um, moments of guidance. So that, that's a, that's a good, good place to check me out. Yeah, your Facebook's just full of aff affirmations, like I say, for every occasion. Otherwise, it's Robert Whiteside's Woo at Seven Hawks Healing, and your book is Allowing God Insights to Inspire and Renew the Fire of Love at the Very Center of Your Soul. You co-wrote with Robert Novak. So that's out there. All your music's out there. The nine albums are out there that people can check out if they're interested in that. Yeah. yeah. So my, my thing is individual work with people, and that's how I make my living, and that's that's my value. And yeah, right, individual. I, I they have right now. Individual yeah. healing, or they can come to your mountain uh, sanctuary, you say, in Colorado, right, for healing? Yeah. That's what I'd like to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's inspirational thought, and this goes back to um, – your, be your true self, the qualities to be a shaman. So the inspirational thought, then the show's over. Be free, be true, be you. In other words, you can be anything. Be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much. Yeah. Robert Whiteside's woo, shaman woo. I, th I think maybe there's more secrets you have. I don't know. I may have to talk to you privately, I think. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. Hey, I just want to say one thing. When, when you did the intro really fast here, you really remind me of Orson Welles. Oh, really? The way you spoke. Okay. I'm going to have to check that out. Brandon Jose in Alabama. You're looking good, buddy. Oh, you got your Michigan shirt on. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Esther yeah, Joy. Yeah. What a pleasure. Oh, it always having is. Thanks you back, for having Amy. me back. Thanks, everybody. Peace out. The opinions expressed in the preceding program are those of the producer and not necessarily those of WKTV Community Media.